Welcome to episode 159 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Howdy, John. Howdy, Dirk. For our podcast today, we're going to chat about urban agriculture and its importance for the cities of the future. So this is a, a topic that I'm you know, very interested in. Uh, we're, we're quickly approaching 8 billion people on the planet, and more than half of them uh, live in cities, and this number is growing every day. And the ag industry is, as we know, resource intensive. So when it comes to water, energy usage, uh, you name it, the uh, agriculture industry requires it. Um, and so around the world, as they're planning for this increased population living in cities, people are really starting to look at agriculture uh, taking place within the, the confines of the urban environment. So uh, some advantages of urban agriculture include that you're growing food near where you live, so that reduces the environmental uh, impact of uh, these long supply chains that we've grown used to. So instead <laughs> of shipping grapes up from Chile, you're you know, growing uh, some kind of fruit locally. Uh, it also means that the food is fresher because, once again, you're not in this uh, long supply chain uh, scenario. And cities also get a benefit uh, from this increased greenery because it reduces something called the heat island effect. And so uh, what happens with cities, because it has all these uh, impermeable surfaces that used to be, you know, uh, absorbent surfaces, as it would be in a rural area, it, it just causes the whole urban region to be much warmer than the surrounding environs that, you know, have more uh, vegetation. So uh, the heat island effect is, is reduced as we have more greenery uh, in the urban confines. And then finally, uh, something really cool about urban agriculture, urban farming, is that it's bringing healthy food and jobs to underserved areas. So if you have uh, areas of the inner city uh, where you, you know, can't get uh, fresh produce, you know, and jobs might be scarce, uh, urban agriculture can be uh, quite helpful for that. So where are we today? So there are some pretty high-profile uh, urban ag areas. I mean, not specifically for urban agriculture alone, but I'm thinking especially of uh, New York City's uh, Highline Park, where there's lots of uh, vegetation, including uh, uh, agriculture. Um, Boston. Uh, have our, you been to Highline Park? Have I have not. I have not. Um, that is on my list of, of things to do when I have a moment to myself, which is which is not very frequent these days. Because Highline Park, I, I would call pleasant and quaint. And the pleasant is definitely a compliment. The quaint is not a criticism, but they're not gardening at scale sure. in Highline Park. I right, mean, let's right. be clear about that. But keep going. I apologize. No, no, no. Um, uh, Boston is in the middle of a uh, visioning process, which, uh, you know, they're basically trying to figure out, you know, what land they can allocate to uh, urban agriculture. Um, and so, so we have these, call them, uh, may, maybe modest is, is the wrong word, but we have these sort of toe-in-the-water projects uh, where we're beginning to see uh, some some of the, the the fruits of urban agriculture, but nothing 
on, on a massive scale uh, that would be required to, say, feed the city of New York, right? Yeah. So, so for things like that, uh, the, the thought or the, the process, the, the vision for things like that is uh, uh, vertical farming, right? So, so this is, you know, imagine a high-rise, but instead of, uh, instead of people and, and, and offices, you've got, uh, well, you know, gardens and, and, um, and fields, basically, in the space where... Um, you know, where, you know, cars would be parked normally or what have you. So uh, what's so interesting about vertical farming is you get that scale that you were looking for with uh, with Highline. And, uh, you know, at the same time, it, it has all of those other advantages that we talked about before, like it's, you know, it's local, you know, it's providing the jobs, it's providing the, uh, the fresh food, etc. So um, Singapore... Uh, launched one of the first commercial uh, vertical farms in the world uh, a couple of years ago in in 2012. So so it is happening and it is sort of part of this this move uh, towards urban agriculture. But we know that Singapore is is pretty advanced when it comes to that kind of thinking. So it, it's hard to say when this will become more. Uh, you know, permeate you know more cities. But you know, it's certainly a good start. Uh, Dirk, I've I've talked at length about this. What are what are your impressions on urban ag? Uh, certainly, it's interesting to read about. It's interesting to think about. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns in terms of a future that would theoretically require urban agriculture. And so, what I mean by that is, we don't know exactly how the world is going to change as a virtue of global warming, um, which is the most likely sort of cataclysmic um, event that will significantly change the ways in which we live. Um, there's a lot of scenarios of how it can go. I mean, many people envision a future of mega cities because that's sort of in line with what we've seen happening, which is to say, as you mentioned, more and more people are in cities every year. Um, and so these urban agriculture solutions are being envisioned, but, you know, depending on how things go, it, it may be that instead of trying to build up, we build out, um, you know, building up is expensive. So, um, to build a high-rise requires a tremendous amount of carbon emission. There's no two ways about it, from the materials to the construction, the whole nine yards. Um, and that's happening while we have um, a majority of Canada, a majority of Russia, a majority of China. Um, I'm talking about the largest countries in the world. A majority of them are wide open space. So I think there's an open question of whether the future is one of up, not out. Because if we move into the open space that is out, it's far cheaper. You don't need steel and concrete and and these other modern uh, building materials in order to to house and sustain sustain people, basically. Um, so starting there, um, now assuming it's a future of uh, these mega megapolises, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's certainly it certainly makes sense for us to have an integrated model of life as opposed to a distributed model of life. I mean, you know, you mentioned the the fruits being brought up from Central or South America. I don't remember the country you you cited. Um, I think Chile, so South America. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just kind of makes no sense. And the only, I mean, there's two, there's, there's, at the end of the day, there's two reasons why it makes sense to do that. Number one is that there's a company that can get grapes made in Chile that wants to make money. And so, that company has a profit motive to make that happen. 
The second reason is consumer demand. So I want grapes. I don't just want grapes for the six weeks of grape season in you know, Eastern United States or whatever the hell that looks like. I want grapes in January and February and March and April. Um, those are the only two reasons. There's a company that's trying to exploit a situation and make money. And there's people who, when they want fucking grapes, they want fucking grapes. And those are really bad reasons to have grapes being brought from Chile to, to the Northeast United States as one of the many destinations that Chilean grapes are there Chilean grapes or do you just pick Chile out of no, the I, there are, yeah, there's a burgeoning there's, Chilean grape industry I, I believe so there are Chilean grapes there's Chilean wine so Chilean grapes certainly makes sense um yeah, so so it makes sense. You know, we, why can't we live within our means? Why do we have to have grapes when we want grapes? I mean, the, the grapes that come and when they're out of season, they don't taste as good. And and uh, what's what's the point? I mean, why you know why can't we be satisfied? I, mean, I know the reasons why. Psych, I'm talking uh, rhetorically here, uh, or let me even not do it rhetorically. We we need to start being satisfied with, you know, what this is the kind of food that our environment can provide. Let's enjoy it. Let's make the most of it. And, you know, because of science, because of globalization, I mean, you know, there's foods that wouldn't have been available in a local way 100 years ago that now that we can make available just by virtue of our knowledge of them and advances that have happened in, you know, in agribiz. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, there's there's uh, uh, so much potential, I think, in in urban agriculture. I mean, we've... Um, I've, I've seen, uh, a lot of interesting, uh, tech related, you know, startup companies here in, in the Boston area. And I, I, w- I want to talk about one in particular because, uh, at Invo, we were privileged enough to be part of the, uh, uh, the beta test for their, for their product. And, uh, so, so the product is called, uh, the Grove. It's by Grove Labs, and you can check them out at, at uh, GroveLabs.io. And essentially, what they have is a self-contained uh, uh, mini ecosystem that I- involves, you know, growing, um, you know, uh, growing food like uh, we were growing tomato plants, and then uh, fertilizing or uh, providing uh, nutrients for that food from. Uh, from fish, basically, which which are you know part of this uh, almost looks like a, a sophisticated looking bookcase where you know the top part of the bookcase is is devoted to your your plant life and and has your uh, illumination and and uh, um, an area for water irrigation and then the, you know the bottom part of it is where the fish reside and of course you have to. Uh, take care of each of the parts of this uh, ecosystem so that everything runs smoothly. And we had a lot of fun getting this up and running. I, I got to say that uh, for for all of you urban farmers out there, it is probably easier said than done because we we learned a lot as we were getting our grove up and running. And, and we had the, the, the great folks from... Uh, from Grove Labs come over and school us a bit and how to take care of it. I think ultimately, uh, you know, having that be part of our uh, community kitchen where uh, where we we have meals together at Involution, it, it was an it was a nice part of that. Um, so we did that. I, for, I noticed the use of the word was. John. Yes, yeah, we did that for about a year, and uh, you know, on top of everything else going on in the studio, I don't think we. Had the bandwidth to really maintain it in a uh, 
uh, in an ongoing fashion. So I believe we're going to be donating it to an uh, uh, educational institution in 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 Arlington. Um, but there's, a, you know, there's a bunch of lessons there. The, there is uh, what, one of those is is that uh, urban agriculture is is probably just as serious a, a business as you know any any other kind of farming. Right? It's it's a, a full time occupation, and you know we were doing the equivalent of uh, hobbyist gardening. Right in our um, in, in our community kitchen here at at Involution. Uh, but if if you're interested in that sort of thing, I would definitely recommend checking out Grove Labs. I know that there are uh, you know community gardens and a lot of other ways to to go about this. Uh, but you know that that was a good solution for us, and it, it allowed us to grow produce during the winter as well. Although we we didn't have grapes, <laughs> which would have been nice. Yeah, but it was just a trifle, John. I mean, and that's to me that's the takeaway. Let's not gloss over it. I mean. Uh, providing uh, food, providing agriculture is not a hobby thing no. at, at the current mm -hmm. level of agricultural technology. I mean, it's it's a profession. It's something that um, you have to put a significant amount of time into, have a significant amount of expertise, and have the the correct um, supplies and knowledge and, and all of this stuff. And so many things that we um, – sort of idealize as being part of this utopian urban future, um, imagine in hobbyist ways, simply aren't hobbyist things. And this is just a great example of it. Yeah, um, that's, th yeah that's a good point. These are things that, yes, they need to be local. Yes, they need to be integrated. But that doesn't mean that Tom, Dick, and Harry, uh, to, to use the traditional and, and male-focused uh, list of generic names, uh, are, are can just, as part of their day, screw around with their little in-house um, agriculture and ta-da, there's going to be food there. Maybe someday, but certainly not now. I mean, this is something that requires real professional people putting significant amount of time into to, to realize. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's, uh, that's an excellent point. Listeners, uh, we're excited to announce uh, today a, another partner in our uh, network for the digital life, uh, you can already find the digital life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and our friends at Player FM. And we're excited to announce today that we're also available on Google Play. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can uh, follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to the digitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And, of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And when people tweet at me, I always respond and engage. So if you are so compelled, it would be a joy to, uh, to engage with you. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 159 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Okay.